Everything is changing so fast. I mean, back in my day, we were lucky if we could get one video to load. But now with the Xfinity 10G network, you can power a house full of devices at once with ultra-low lag. The future starts now. Restrictions apply. Actual speeds vary and not guaranteed. Meet Stacy. Stacy's on the hunt for a new pair of trendy glasses. Call me picky, but I just can't find the one. Luckily for Stacy, Walmart Vision has virtual try-on. Now she can try on hundreds of frames virtually, then upload her prescription and get new glasses delivered right to her door. Really? <laughs> yeah, really. Well, the hunt just took a turn for the better. Buy your next pair of glasses with virtual try-on from Walmart. Welcome to Easy Eye Care. Welcome to your Walmart. Restrictions apply. See walmart.com for details. You can support this podcast at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. With Cameron Hughes Wine, you know you're getting the best deal always. Luxury wine at affordable prices. And the clincher, Cam guarantees all his wines. If you are unhappy with any bottle you buy from him, he will make it right. The holidays are here, so Cam has a great offer for our listeners. Free shipping on three or more bottles and a free sommelier-grade corkscrew. This is a great deal to try these already discounted wines. And free shipping is a huge savings because wine is heavy and expensive to ship. This wine is fantastic. This deal is fantastic. Do not miss out on this limited offer. Go to chwine.com and use the code CRIME right now. That's chwine.com and enter code CRIME. Crime. The holidays are here, so go to chwine.com today. This show is sponsored by Madison Madison Reed. Madison Reed is revolutionizing the way women color their hair with gorgeous, salon-quality, multidimensional hair color delivered right to your door on your schedule. Join the hundreds of thousands of women who have tried and loved Madison Madison Reed. Reed. Women like me. Visit madison-reed.com and get 10% off plus free shipping on your first color kit with the promo code Crime. Crime. That's madison-reed.com and use the promo code Crime. Crime. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and this is Crime Writers On, the podcast about other podcasts and also about true crime, pop culture, journalism. And this week, we'll talk to the one and only Rabia Chaudhry about the latest development in Anand Syed's case, an eyewitness for the defense who's in some hot legal water. We'll also talk about Godless, Netflix's limited series about an old West town inhabited mostly by women and the outlaws bound to cause trouble for them. So joining me to dive into all of that and a lot more is my true crime co-author, real-life husband, semi-pro Christmas cookie eater and host of These Are Their Stories, the Law and Order podcast, Kevin Flint. Hello, Kevin. Cookies. (laughs) Also with us is journalist, true crime author, licensed private investigator, former defense investigator, and semi-pro Christmas cookie baker, Laura Bricker. Hello, Laura. Hello. I'm actually making my uh, ingredient list right now as we sit here, so I'm getting ready. Can you please make your ingredient list for the Christmas dinner I have to make in four days that I also have bought nothing for and have no time to shop for? Yeah, I'm, I'm in the same boat. I actually have like this whole list and I'm like, oh, my word. Oh, my word. Oh, my word. And finally, the man so skeptical, he probably stopped believing in Santa at just three or four years old. The author behind the City Trilogy and the co-host of the Radio Free Dystopia podcast, Toby Ball. Hello, Toby. (laughs) Ma'am. I appreciate the opportunity to 
discuss various things with you tonight. <laughs> talk straight. Talk about my vexations with <laughs> the article that we had to watch on the television machine. I like your ginger. I do. I like it a lot. Well, um, one of the things that I wanted to mention before we get started is that next week we are not going to be making a podcast. It's oh, our no. holiday break. Yeah. Uh, so there's going to be, for our listeners, a blessed week's break from Crime Writers on, and for us, a blessed week's break from sitting in a closet together and recording a podcast. But then when we get back, we're going to be talking about a couple of things that are capturing uh, the attention of true crime fans. We're going to be talking about the Netflix series Wormwood. And Toby, we're going to be talking about a podcast that I just saw you tweet about. What is that podcast, Toby Ball? Uh, the Pope's Long Con. That's right. I've been hearing good things. Yeah, it's actually, it's awesome. I listened to the whole thing in basically one sitting. It's not that long, and it's also... Um, the subject of it has been in the news recently, mm-hmm. but I, I want to expand because I don't want to like spoil anything. But it, it's definitely <laughs> worth listening to. And I did tweet about it, and, and some people have come back and said they're gonna they're gonna check it out. So yep. before we even review it, I would say that I do recommend it. I think I think people like it a lot. I guess we can skip that podcast episode. Preemptive thumbs yep. up from check Toby that Ball. Off. All right. By the way, we have Kevin been getting um, in response to my call last week for people to send emails about T-shirts they want to see in our swag store. Uh-huh. Uh huh. We did get one email that said you should make a T-shirt that says "Bring Back Thumb Sideways." Mm. Crime writers on playing with fire, people. <laughs> <laughs> Don't think so. And remember, if you would like to contribute T-shirt ideas for Kevin Flynn to personally make for our, what is it? What has the URL go for our store? It's crime.threadless.com. If you have T-shirt ideas that relate to our podcast that you can also put on mugs or baby onesies or shower, shower curtains, curtains or whatever, throw pillows. Email crimewriterson at gmail.com. Water bottles. With your ideas for fun swag ideas. Or you can just go there to crime.threadless.com right now and buy yourself a t shirt like that says like Team Toby or. I want my pet to be cat of the week. Yes. Or why is there no Team Rebecca? I think it's kind of bullshit if it's going to be, be totally honest with you. There's I don't only, know. There's only so many typewriter keys I can find. <laughs> <laughs> all right, they don't Kevin. Have them for all the letters, <laughs> no, not in that size. Uh, can I just make one tiny plug for something that we made? And I don't want to be like weird, but mm-hmm. like um, the episode that you dropped this week of These Are Their Stories, the Law and Order podcast, features an ad for Stitcher Premium, mm-hmm. which of course our listeners can subscribe to if they want to get extra content from us and also other shows. Are early. you about to slip into a? But okay, the ad features your mom. Mm-hmm. And I would say (laughs) it is worth subscribing or just listening to this week's episode of These Are Their Stories, Law and Order podcast to hear Kevin and his mom because they were over for a little Christmas brunch last weekend and Kevin was like, let me give you a tour of our studio, which should have taken four seconds because our studio is literally six feet by four feet. But you and your mom were down here for a while. Apparently, you were recording an ad. I decided to make her do an ad with me (laughs) because I thought it would be... I thought it would be funny, and it was. I thought it was very funny. Yeah, it's we worth, giggled the whole way through it. It's worth listening to just to get some insight into. Uh, I don't know where I get my humor from. Where you get your something from? I get my <laughs> my ginger. <laughs> She's better at laundry than you are, though. Fuck yeah! <laughs> All right, so Kevin, um, can you please read one of these for us to kick off the show? True crime update. So, guys, according to the New York Daily News, 
The New York Police Department, a.k.a. the NYPD, Mm. says it has received a new lead in its 35-year-old investigation of Robert Durst, Mm. the millionaire at the center of the HBO series The Jinx, who's the alleged murderer of three people, including his wife Kathleen, and who's currently awaiting trial for one of those murders in California. Laura Bricker... What is the new lead? Is there a new lead? What the hell is going on? I don't think there's a new lead. Um, (laughs) I'm just going to say that right up front. So news of this new lead came out because uh, Kathy Durst's sisters are suing the NYPD. And in their lawsuit, they're seeking documents from the NYPD investigation. And they allege in this lawsuit that they filed that detectives colluded with an ex-cop hired by the Durst family to cover up Robert Durst's role in his wife's death. So this is why I say I don't think there's a tip. So now, mysteriously, suddenly, the police fill out an affidavit saying they have received a new tip in November about the disappearance of Kathy Durst in 1982. In case you didn't know, she was actually declared officially dead this year, even though they have not found her body. Yep. So for those of us that have dealt with ongoing investigations, that's kind of a thing that the police do to sometimes not release paperwork in a case. Um, If the investigation is still, quote, ongoing, they don't have to turn it over because they can say it could compromise the investigation. Hmm. So, So there's a lot of bickering going back and forth in terms of whether or not they're really you know, and there is no information about what this tip is. They just say we've received a tip and we're investigating, um, hmm. which is a little bit vague. So, as you said, Robert Durst is facing trial right now in Los Angeles for killing Susan Berman in 2000 out of his fear that she was going to speak to the investigators about Kathy's disappearance. This is kind of the other reason why I think there is no actual tip. Um, The prosecutor in that case says he was told that the NYPD case is on hold Hmm. pending the California case. So sounds like a BS police tactic to not have to disclose anything for a lawsuit or the media or whatever, right? And you've dealt with this before, so... um, there's probably no new tip. That's what I'm getting from this. Um, there might be. You never know. I mean, <laughs> but I'm going to go out on a limb and say probably not. But I mean, you know how these cases, yeah. you know, a lot of these cases, they get tips all the time. And right. a lot of them don't go anywhere. Right. So a lot of them don't wind I, up in the paper. Yeah. That's what's different about this one. Right. Right. And you know that this family just can like call someone at the Daily News or Newsday or the New York Post and just say, this is what I heard, and someone will print an article, which helps. But, um, mm-hmm. yeah, it's a familiar tactic. All right. So, um, Kevin, we have one of these now for you to read. True Crime Podcast Update! So, although it won't return until next spring, the blockbuster Outstanding True Crime Podcast in the Dark from APM Reports will begin its second season. And this week they dropped a trailer But the trailer is a little bit mysterious. It doesn't say what the case is about. Instead, we hear Madeline Barron and her team do lots of something. And we're not exactly (laughs) sure what it is. But it's lots of it. It's lots of it. So, Toby, um, in the In the Dark season two teaser trailer slash, by the way, completely transparent. I'm cool with them making it like a fundraiser thing, too. I work in public media. It's a public media enterprise. It's also a little bit of fundraiser thing there. Um, We do hear lots of teaser audio from what's going to be season two uh we hear about clay roads ditches slam doors dogs yes and they explicitly say we can't tell you where we went or what we're doing but given the clues we have where do you think they went toby ball i don't think i was paying enough attention to make a determination there 
What about you, Kevin? What do you think? Where do you think they went? Uh, well, I, I'm I've never heard any city noises, so <laughs> that narrows it down. Yeah, I'm going to say, "Hey, country mouse." <laughs> That's probably where it was. My favorite little clip, though, is where she knocks on the door. Someone knocks on the door and says, "Public radio," and the guy's not interested. Yeah. Close, and I tell you, I know it's uh, radio, but I could totally see that guy pick him out of a lineup if I had to. <laughs> I, know exactly, to I know exactly what he looks like: Gargamel wearing overalls. <laughs> They're at the Avery compound. That's where I think they are. Well, oh. I heard that little piece of audio where when somebody driving a car said, "We're on a clay road," and to mm-hmm. me, clay road means south, maybe like. Uh, South Carolina, where there are a lot of clay roads, maybe Florida. Laura, what do you think with your detective skills? Any idea? I have no idea. But I I really enjoyed the music that was playing as they were going around. It added a lot of fun to this sort of scavenger hunt like (laughs) dropping of clues that was happening. So, yeah. Here's the one thing that that I'll take away from it. And I don't know if this is the direction it's going to go because In the Dark Season 1 was very much a straightforward investigation, even though, again, we, we knew. With a great question at its center. A great question. Right. The question wasn't. Who killed Jacob Wetterly? It was why wasn't the case solved? Why wasn't the case solved? Right, but it still was very sort of straightforward, and um, you know, it was driven by interviewees. Mm-hmm. Now it sounds like they've gathered tape to make season two as such. Mm-hmm. The question remains whether or not they actually produce it as such. But based on the trailer, it sounds like they've gathered a lot of material that could make it more of a first person, a little more immersive, a little more serial esque as far as the storytelling. Hmm. So it's not just a straight sort of news piece. It's a little bit more about this is our adventure in doing the news gathering. Maybe. We'll see. Or it could have just been we're taking all our best stuff and we're putting it in a Christmas fundraising trailer. It could literally be another like Ernest, uh, why wasn't this thing solved? And some of their sources were at a place where there were clay roads and dogs. Yeah, (laughs) but but, I mean, if you're still rolling tape after your car goes off the ditch. Yeah. I mean, you're probably doing that for a reason. There's a reason why you're going to the place you're going in the car that ended up rolling off in the ditch. Well, of course, there's a reason for the, where the car is going. Rebecca, <laughs> my God, where have you? Gosh. I'll tell you the one thing you that I one thing I really liked about the In the Dark trailer is that they made a deliberate um, move to introduce like the whole team that was making mm-hmm. the show in it. And you know, producers like there were like two producers who were like in the trailer, and producers don't get a lot of credit in shows like this i think serial season one did a good job like bringing dana like into the show <laughs> you know well, but that's what i'm talking she's about. the one yeah. who said what half price at the crab crib or whatever yeah i mean maybe they were doing a drive test and somebody had a stopwatch i don't, I don't know. know but I, I, but, but and i don't know if that's where it's going to go because we haven't heard any of it but just judging by that i think maybe they're going to change the tone a little bit all right well i'm intrigued i can't speak for you guys but i am intrigued i am in, yes i am excited um i loved season one so i can't wait for season two neither can i neither can i and uh, in 2018 is when it's coming out, and we also know that Limetown is coming out sometime in 2018. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe Serial Season 3? Who knows? We'll find out, I guess, when 2018 finally rolls around. All right, so Kevin, rounding out the first part of our show, can you please read this for me? Another true crime update. And also a true crime podcast update, too, right? I didn't write that part of the script. <laughs> Now, there was a piece of news this week that I, frankly, uh, saw on Twitter. Colin Miller tweeted it out about a figure related to Adnan Syed's 1999 conviction for the murder of Heyman Lee. 
Adnan Syed, of course, is the subject at the center of Serial Season 1, and his conviction was overturned a year and a half ago as a result of a successful PCR petition. But whether or not he'll actually get a new trial is still up in the air, at least as of the time of this podcast taping. I feel like I've been saying every week that we might get a decision at some point. It never happens. Mm -hmm. So I think it's safe to say his stuff's still up in the air at this point. Mm -hmm. Now, as far as the guy involved in this week's news, how he's connected to the case, I'll be honest, I wasn't clear on it, even though I listen to Serial Season 1 religiously, even though I produce Undisclosed, I was not clear on it. So I reached out to a familiar voice to help explain it to me. And a quick note to our listeners, the conversation I have here, which lasts 10, 12-ish minutes, it's kind of explicit. It's contextually explicit. uh, And just keep that in mind. But um, I'm going to play that, and then we'll talk about it on the other side. So can you please introduce yourself and tell listeners of my podcast how they might know you? Hi, I'm Rabia Chaudhary, and I am one of the three hosts of the podcast Undisclosed. And I am the author of the book Adnan's Story, which was about Adnan Sayed and and the case that was the center of the serial podcast a couple years ago. Now, there is a character from that story and that case that was in the news this week. Bilal is a name that I think some of my listeners might recognize. Can you just remind me how he fits into Adnan's case and the murder of Heyman Lee? So Bilal was kind of a a really active member of the local mosque community. Uh, at the time all this happened in 1999, he was probably in his, I don't know, uh, late 20s at the time, but he did a lot of youth work. And so he would organize all these youth things. And well, yeah, Adnan knew him, all the kids knew him because the parents, you know, kind of trusted him. He would put on youth camps and this and that. Um, there were people who didn't feel comfortable with him for various reasons, and they were right not to. Um, there were rumors about him messing with little boys at the time, but it wasn't anything anybody knew for sure. But why he was important to Adnan's case was because the night that Heyman Lee, or the day she disappeared, you know, that night, the story goes, according to the state, that she was buried in Lincoln Park that night. Now, Bilal and a couple other folks had said, well, Adnan was at the mosque that night. And Bilal specifically remembered it because the very next day, Adnan was supposed to give a talk. He was supposed to give a talk to a group of kids at the mosque because this is Ramadan, last few days. Uh, if you don't know how it works, like in the Muslim community, the last few days of Ramadan is like hectic. There's so much activity. It's a lot of programs. A lot of things are happening. And um, so he was going to give a talk the next day. And Bilal remembers Adnan coming to the mosque that night that Hay disappeared and him reviewing like the notes that Adnan had to prepare for the talk. So he specifically remembered that night because the next day he scheduled for a talk and he testified to this in the grand jury. Now he's testified to this. So in a way he's kind of an alibi witness for Adnan, not in a way he's an alibi witness for Adnan for the night, uh, really around the same time that Jay Wiles is saying that Heyman Lee is being buried. Okay, so that's the grand jury, which was, I don't know, March, April of that year. And then fast forward a few months when trial the trial is going to happen and Adnan's attorney is looking for Bilal and she can't find him. She needs him because he's an alibi witness for that night. And it's an important part of the day because that's the burial. That's the Lincoln Park pings. That's, you know... And she can't find him. He completely has disappeared. And he was at the forefront of all of this. Like he was helping. He helped hire Christina Gutierrez. Yeah. He did the fundraising. He was really, really active um, in helping with Adnan's defense. And then poof, he disappeared. And nobody could figure out why. 
Now, Rabia, uh, just was he the same guy who helped Adnan get a cell phone? Was the same guy? He did. Okay. Yeah. Yep. He also helped Adnan get a cell phone. Right. And he was one of those guys who Adnan says, he's like, you know, the kids, he's like a lot of the boys, like, like nobody really liked him, but they kind of like used him because they knew he would, he liked being around them. Right. And he would do things like that to just be able to spend time with these young guys. But he was very important to the case in, in terms of Adan's defense. Um, it was one of the few alibi witnesses he had for that day mm-hmm. because, you know, Christina didn't contact Asia, who was his other alibi witness at the time. So that that wasn't there. And what happened was, and I wrote about this in detail in the book, along with publishing police reports about it. Uh, apparently what had happened um, was Bilal had been, I think, about two weeks before the trial arrested yeah, he wasn't charged. He was he was found in a van with a with a young Bosnian refugee boy, mm-hmm. and a private investigator had been following him every single day, every single morning. He would pick up this boy, take him, park the van, do whatever, and then drop him off. And they surrounded the van. The police surrounded the van. They opened up. You know, Bilal's got his pants off, and there's petroleum jelly. And I mean, you know, things are happening. Um, they take him to the station. This is in Baltimore County, okay? And th- the documents are very clear about what happened. And then the police report says that he that they contact Yurik, hmm. which is weird because Yurik is not a Baltimore County prosecutor. He has nothing to do with this case. Right. They contact Yurik, and suddenly Bilal just walks. Nothing happens. There's hmm. no charges filed, and he disappears, okay? So he's not available for Adnan's defense. Now, somebody who's at the station, I was trying to piece these things together. And somebody who's at the station that day, and I can't say who it is, uh, told me that basically what happened was Bilal was told that the charges would be dropped. He could just walk if he didn't testify right. uh, for a nun. He's disappeared. And then Bilal's ex-wife also confirmed this to me. I spoke to her. So all these years go by, right? So Bilal's never arrested for that. He never appears for Adnan's defense. But over the years, he's moved from like community to community. He keeps getting kicked out of mosques, okay, because mm. he keeps messing with people. Finally, after all these years, he's arrested last year because he's a dentist. And he, one of his patients wakes up um, coming out of anesthesia and sees Bilal with his like pants down, I don't know, masturbating or something. And is just shocked. So it turns out like he's molested, well, at least five patients that they can name and an employee. And he's attacked like a, a, a student that he went to school with, like another dental student. Um, he's finally, you know, his crimes are catching up with him. Um, he's got issues. He's a serial molester. And I think he even raped one guy. I mean, I, you could argue that, he, that the little boy, at least that Bosnian kid, I mean, that's rape. Right. That's statutory rape. Right. So he was just sentenced to 16 and a half years in prison. So the arrest of that day back in 1999 before he was supposed to testify, who initiated that arrest? And, and is that is there some idea that, you know, he was there were these rumors floating around that had perhaps come up in the. Uh, investigation around Adnan's case and that they leverage these rumors to get this guy, this alibi witness out of the picture? Is that is that what you think happened? So that's not what I understand happened, um, although it's an interesting possibility because what happened even before his arrest was that Yurik had sent him letters saying, I want to meet with you. Um, so Yurik knew, the prosecutor knew that this guy is an important witness because, mm-hmm. you know, he had his grand jury testimony. Bilal went to meet with him. We know he did. We He went to meet and he, Bilal told me that I didn't meet with him. I met with a female prosecutor. There was another prosecutor in the case. Um, but he wouldn't tell me what happened. So we know he met with the prosecutors. But apparently what happened was this, and his ex-wife told me this. 
she had married him, I think, a year or so earlier prior, and she just knew something was off with this guy. She was told by people in the community, look, you need to get out of this marriage. It was like an arranged marriage, which was very common. Um, she didn't know him very well from before. She was from overseas, I think. And her brother lived in Atlanta, uh, her, his ex-wife's brother. Her brother also heard the same thing, and he said he decided to hire a private investigator to find out what the real deal is with her, I with his, uh, his sister's husband. This private investigator was the guy who was following Bilal every day and was like, something is up. He's taking this kid every day. And then he went to the police and then the police went and followed Bilal. I see. I see. So, but how, how did that connection get made between the day of his arrest and Yurik's office? Do you know? That is the weirdest part. But if you read the police report again, it's in the book. I actually published the entire report. It says, okay, it doesn't really make sense to me the way the police laid it out, but this is what they said. In the report, they said that they found pictures in Bilal's wallet of a couple different people, young boy, young men, and they asked, who is this? Who is this? One of them was Adnan Sayed. Mm. And I guess they were like, oh, that sounds familiar. And so then they, it doesn't make sense. Right. Then they contact the prosecutor in the Adnan Sayed case. Like they f- figure out this guy is a witness in an ongoing murder investigation. And they contact the prosecutor. Again, there's no connection between these cases. There's no reason for Yurik to be involved. Right. But they contact him. And so they let him know he's here. And, um, you know, it, it just doesn't make sense. But, so this yeah. guy is a serial predator. And do you think it would have been likely that he would have made a decent witness in that trial? Or do you think that this might have come out and potentially impeached him in that trial? I'm just curious to know, like, what you think his value could have been to the case had he not been allowed to walk and then disappeared. Well, look, I mean, if he had a lot depends on what would have happened with this case. The the interesting thing is because I was I was confused. I was like, how could they not charge him? How could they not? Exactly. This is like such a clear case caught in the act. Yeah, caught in the act. And so but when you look at the law there, there is a kind of a loophole for sexual touching. And they didn't send the kid to the hospital, which is another shocking thing. Mm. They didn't do a rape kit on him, nothing, right? And the boy said that we just touched each other. We, it wasn't rape. That was what the boy said. But they didn't verify that. And so the, what I'm trying to say is there was a possibility that if they had tried to charge him, he could have maybe beat the charges right. because of this loophole. Mm-hmm. So the, there's a possibility that they wouldn't have had that to impeach him. Right. But the other thing is this, is that his testimony was already on the record from the grand jury. Mm-hmm. And he was a, he was actually a pretty good witness in the grand jury. I've read that testimony many times. He was a pretty solid witness. He specifically remembers what happened that night. There's documents to show it. There's actually the actual notes that he reviewed that Adnan had written. Um, those are available. The schedule showing that Adnan was going to be um, giving a talk the next day was available. There were other witnesses to verify that. He could have been an important witness, considering the entire case hinged on kind of a he said she's you know it was like right, right. But then again, then you have Gutierrez, who was a disaster. So I don't know how effective she would have been. But he, the point is whether or not he would have been a good witness. It's highly unethical for a prosecutor to do. And look, Yurik did this with him. Mm-hmm. He did it with Asia. Right. He did it with Asia. He right. talked Asia out of coming to his. So this guy has a pattern of coercing witnesses not to appear to testify. Right. So with some some time and perspective, you know, this is like sort of a side question. Looking back on it, is it non? Are you just kind of freaked out that this guy was uh, among your community and like had Adnan's photo in his wallet and clearly was this sort of predator in in the Muslim community at that time in this place? Is, is that freaking you out at all? What freaks me out is that he um, 
you know, he's being charged with assaulting five patients and an employee, but there are dozens. There are dozens and dozens. I'm positive. And 16 and a half years, I'm sorry, isn't enough because, you know, these, these victims right here, they're probably, they're all adults. There, there are countless minors that I'm sure he's done this to. And what, what freaks me out, makes me angry is that law enforcement officers let him go. Yeah. That's what makes me angry. You know, people, like I said, there were whispers. And the other thing is, the funny thing is, after this happened, when Bilal disappeared, people were like, everybody in the community is like, where did, where happened? And then there were these rumors that he got caught in a van with a boy. And I think his wife at the time might have told people that. But we couldn't figure out if it was true or false. We're like, if it's true, he would have been arrested. There's mm. no way they'd let him go. Right. So it must be fake. And nobody could figure out what the hell happened here. So as of this taping, as of our conversation, who knows what will happen by the time my show drops, although I I say that every week and it hasn't Mm -hmm. happened, uh, we're still in this waiting game pattern uh, with the Court of Special Appeals, waiting to hear what they're going to say at at this phase. How's everybody doing? How are you doing with the wait? Um, It's getting harder. I'm getting frustrated and I don't want to say angry, but I'm I'm really frustrated. It's been a year and a half now. June 30th, 2016, it was when his conviction was overturned. This guy, this smarmy Thiru Vignaraja is running for DA next year. You know, he put Adnan's life on hold and he's going on and doing his thing for no reason. I want to say to the state, if you think you have a case, give him a new trial. Mm. If you're so confident in your case, just give him a new trial. Yep. But it, I'm just, I'm exhausted. I'm tired. I'm angry. And I just want a decision already so we can move forward. But um, Adnan is, uh, as always, much more uh, positive than <laughs> the rest of us who are just frustrated. Um, he's okay. I saw him a couple weeks ago. I took the baby for the first time, so that was nice. Hmm. That must have been something. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, I hope next year at this time in the holidays you have a different story to tell. You know, maybe things will be completely different. You never know, right? They can be. They totally can be, and I hope so, too. Thanks so much, Rebecca. Thank you, Rabia. So, Toby, there's a lot to unpack here. And I know that I sent you guys all an email and said, listen to my you know, conversation with Rabia and we'll talk about it on the podcast this week. I know you had questions. So, Toby, why don't you just like tell me what your thoughts were after you heard Rabia and, and my conversation there? You know, a, a question I have, and it's not just about this one thing, but, but sort of in general, is that it, it's kind of put forward that there's all these mechanics – and I don't mean like a bunch of guys who work in a garage, but all these all these things that are happening that are all basically to frame Adnan, mm-hmm. to put him in jail or to keep him in jail. And it just seems like a hell of a lot of effort and corruption on this one case to get a guy who does not seem to be like you know, beyond this, this thing to be, to be a menace, you know, I mean, he's not, he's not a career criminal. He doesn't seem like a particularly dangerous person. So why, why all this effort to convict Adnan in particular? And so in in this case, it was why, if you have a guy who seems to clearly be a, a child sex predator, like, why would you let him go just so that you could continue to frame Adnan or, or have a better chance at framing him? So that was that was sort of my broader sort of question and, and sort of skepticism was, why is there all this effort being put into this? What I did do is I, I, I reached out to Rabia to kind of run that by her to see what her reaction to that was. You know, and I think we kind of agreed that 
essentially it's just you know it's a corrupt system i i didn't really realize how much press this not the uh, Heyman lee case had gotten at the time so there was a certain amount of public pressure on Yurik uh to deliver a conviction mm-hmm. uh to 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 nail somebody and then the second thing is that is that it was you know, there was a culture of corruption, and that was sort of a way that the police went about things, mm-hmm. or at least that that's kind of the theory, is that when you're constantly, you know, working cases in this way, you're suborning perjury, you're intimidating other uh, alibi witnesses, things like that, that's just your sort of standard operating procedure. Mm. So that was kind of what I got out of that, that conversation, and I, I think that seems realistic to me. Right. I do think it is a false premise that you sometimes hear like the so-called guilters, as they say, like on Reddit, people who are, you know, 100 percent sure that Anand Zayed's guilty and like think that serial was BS and think that like anything that points to him not being guilty is BS because what they'll say is like, why would the cops exactly what Toby, your initial question was like, so we're supposed to believe there was this big conspiracy to frame this high school kid. And it wasn't about framing him. It was about arresting someone. And it was about arresting the person that they decided initially had done it and making all the pieces fit to arrest him. And that was actually and is in some instances, as we saw recently in a, a video that was posted of the Baltimore police literally planting drugs and then pretending to discover them. It's the M.O. of a department where that's baked in like Here's who did it. Let's make the pieces fit. Doesn't matter. Procedure. Screw it. Whatever. Doesn't matter because everybody like is on board with the idea that's how it works. And I kind of think that's what she's telling you here is not that like Adnan was in the sights of the cops like let's get this 17 year old guys. It's like let's put him in the frame. Let's make the frame fit the picture and let's do it. Get get to it. And frame him. Yeah. Let's get to it with the straightest line possible. And that was how they also convicted not just this like upper middle class kid from the suburbs. It's how it's the same way they were able to arrest and convict a ton of uh, other people who didn't have money to hire good lawyers and who you're just saying it's the machine. It's the, the machine, machine moves right. along yeah. and mm-hmm. it's like again like the tuna net where it, yeah it really works at catching tuna, but it also happens to catch dolphins mm. and so. While it works a lot of times for getting you know real bad guys and real killers, the same techniques also don't distinguish sometimes between um, exonerating the innocent who are uh, being interrogated, right. and they get caught up in the machine. Right. Laura, I have a question for you, because I was thinking about you a lot during this conversation with Robbie, because you've said on the show, as a former defense investigator, that the cases you worked on, and you can't get into specifics, mm-hmm. yeah. often relied upon dealing with, like, shady ass people right Mm -hmm. shady ass people who were you know either defendants or the shady people you had to talk to who were like corroborating witnesses or so what do you think of this idea that this obvious child predator could have been important in exonerating this kid and just like the complexity of that like you have someone like Rabia now who's in some ways, you know, she's obviously very conflicted. She's like, this guy is clearly a bad guy. Yeah. However, he could have made a difference for my friend who's now imprisoned, maybe wrongly. What do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, that happens a lot. And that's something, like you said, that I have seen a lot where, you know, you have a case where it's like people on many levels are not believable characters, mm. <laughs> to put it mildly. So if it's like a jury trial, you're looking at 
who do you believe who's the most credible out of this like okay so you've got this guy he's a creepy dentist taking kids doing things but he's also potentially his um, information about Adnan's alibi does sound credible so you know that's where you kind of have to balance out I believe this guy but he's also kind of sketchy I mean and that also is sort of like the system because you know a lot of the frequent flyer folks that are going to be in the criminal justice system have been there before and so have their witnesses and they know how it works and you know a lot of times I got statements that I knew were total crap but the people uh, knew what they were supposed to say and that was the line they were going to stick to but you know you know in this case it's just um it's a tough one because it's just one more thing in Adnan's case that had it not gone this way the outcome could very well have been different. Right. Because this guy wasn't actually convicted of any crimes at yeah. that point. And at mm-hmm. that point, he was just like a regular guy. No one knew these other things, which was interesting to me that the one detail that stuck out to me was that these teenage boys knew that he was a predator and then leveraged that to get things like cell phones and cover for when they went to like mm-hmm. hang out with their girlfriends and stuff. And like to our listeners who might be younger and didn't grow up like in the 80s and 90s who might think like that's insane like what kid would do that in the age pre-cell phone like you would do anything you could to get like a little bit of freedom and I don't know it rings kind of true to me in a weird way I don't know Kevin um so one question for you would you rather have an alibi witness for you who's shady as hell or would you just rather have no alibi witness at all as as Adnan did and just take your chances um i don't know i think uh you always you want a, an eyewitness but you want a quality eyewitness just like the quality goods and groceries that i get from thrive market oh god <laughs> thrive. very smooth kevin thank you thrive market is the healthy eating solution for those of us who want quality choices but who neither want to pay an arm and a leg for them or live anywhere near those giant warehouse shops where mm-hmm. you you got to go because you... To Show get someone your card. Yeah, you know those ones I'm talking about. You can go to thrivemarket.com and shop for groceries based on your lifestyle. Yeah. So, uh, you know, you can use the website to filter your search for items that are like organic or gluten-free or kosher, low sodium, uh, non-GMO, no pesticides, or you can get like brands that are sustainably farmed or from women-owned businesses. You can do all of your non-perishable shopping at Thrive Market. Uh, You can also get health and beauty aids, pet food, baby products. I went on today. I bought some dark chocolate, Mm. which I probably shouldn't have told you about. It's okay. I love the dark chocolate. Uh, Our favorite spaghetti sauce. Ooh. Pasta. Oh, it is our. You know, you know the one I'm talking I do about. You know the one you're talking about. Uh, some granola cereal, some dog treats. It's just easy to do. Yeah. Right. Click, 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 and then it comes right to the door. Now, what you can do is you go and you sign up for a year subscription to Thrive Market, and they'll ship anywhere in the contiguous U.S. and they'll ship for free for orders over forty nine dollars. Mm. Which you know, when you start, as soon as you start clicking, you're gonna like fill up your basket. And Thrive doesn't deal with like these brokers and other middlemen. Yep. So that's how they get these giant savings versus retail. Mm-hmm. Like they're not paying for the, the store and uh, you know, all that overhead and they're just going right to the people who are making the food and the products mm-hmm. and they can pass that along to you and you can actually see your savings Right at the checkout nice. online, nice. you're bound to cover your subscription costs like right off of your first order. It's like a fun of- game. How much can I save? Yeah, yeah, it's very fun. Right now, you can get $60 of free organic groceries Ooh. from Thrive Market plus 
free shipping and a 30-day trial by going to thrivemarket.com slash crimewriters and sign up. That's a fantastic deal. It is. Now, keep in mind that their prices are already 25 to 50% below retail because they cut out the middleman. At that fancy-ass place. Yeah, exactly. So, boom. So, you get all of those free groceries and the free shipping. Uh, $60 of free organic groceries. Just go to thrivemarket.com slash Crime writers. writers. You don't have to spend your whole paycheck. No, no. It's a lot of fun, too. All right. Why walk up and down an aisle when you go click, click, click? It's true. What else you got, Kevin? Well, you know, if I really want a good eyewitness, I can't really have a good eyewitness if their eyes are all strained. No. Which is why they should be wearing Felix Grey glasses. Very good idea. These are the glasses that are specially designed with a blue filter light to eliminate glare from screens, Mm. computers, Phones, mm-hmm. iPads. Mm-hmm. The Xbox in my house. Oh, the Xbox in your house? Yes, yes. That's where I lost my Felix Grey glasses to. My son <laughs> thinks he can play more video games uh-huh. if he wears these glasses because his eyes are protected. Well, that's a so. good good theory. Well, you know, actually it is. You know, the glasses, like I said, they have this blue light filtering technology embedded into the lens so they uh, remain effective without giving that yellow tint, mm-hmm. like in the goggles I wear when I protect my eyes when I'm mowing the lawn. Yep. Yeah, that, that's really weird. That isn't what you like. And they look great. Um, they're handcrafted from premium Italian acetate. This is the same stuff that Versace uses. So mm. seriously, it looks really good. Felix Grey glasses are available in both non-prescription and reading lenses, but I hear that they are working on prescription lenses. Nice. So keep an eye on that. All orders are free shipping and free returns. So you've got nothing to lose except losing that annoying eye strain. Mm. And then you can be a good eyewitness mm. for a non. Yes. Give your eyes the break they deserve. Go to felixgrayglasses.com slash crime. Crime. Remember, that's Felix Gray, G-R-A-Y. Glasses. Glasses. <laughs> Forgot the glasses part. Do I have to spell glasses too? No. All right. Try a pair of Felix Gray computer glasses and discover a smarter way to work. That's felixgrayglasses.com slash crime. Crime. felixgrayglasses.com slash crime. 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 Speaking of glasses, I just keep thinking of the sheriff now in Godless, right? Because we are going to review Netflix's latest limited series, Godless. In the old west town of LaBelle, a mining accident has killed virtually all of the men, leaving the town inhabited by young widows. Stumbling in is Roy Good, a very handsome outlaw, who turned on his gang, a crew so ruthless they can murder an entire community. Can the mostly woman town face the deadly showdown coming their way? Note that we will be giving spoilers, so either put us on pause until you've watched Godless or fast forward past our discussion, and I will put the timestamp or we'll give our thumbs up or thumbs down review right in the show notes in case you want to skip the spoiler-filled discussion. The time code to rejoin us We'll be there, and let's just get started talking about it, shall we? Kevin, the concept, a Western town filled with women. Does this show go there? Does it go where you it mean, could? mean, because there's kind of like the idea, like the concept. That's the setup. You kind of pull the punch on the setup and say, oh, mostly women. <laughs> yeah, okay. I mean, if you've seen it, you know, you've got like the old, everybody who was too old because they were tending the saloon, like those guys didn't work in the mine. The sheriff didn't work in the mind. So there are a couple of guys left over. Right, right. But the idea is, yeah, it's an all-woman town. But does the show <clears throat> deliver on that for you? Well, I mean, I think it depends on what is it that implies. I think that conjures up so many different images. I mean, it does, you know, like Paradise Island where uh, Wonder Woman came from with all the Amazons. Is it like a Western 
retelling of that? Is it Cinemax's chained heat, all women behind bars kind of sexy thing? Or is it an empowered population of women who are, who can take care of like themselves? Like a Handmaid's Tale kind like of thing. Like a Handmaid's Tale kind of thing. It goes in a completely different direction. I mean, I think it does, it isn't the sexy, you know, version that a guy would Yeah, can you just take that off the table as an option? Like, we would never talk about something that turned into that. No, like, we wouldn't. We wouldn't. We wouldn't. Uh, like angels behind bars on Charlie's Angels? I don't know why we don't talk about that, Now, though. Toby, uh, what do you think of this idea that the premise was set up as this Western town? We've seen a million Westerns, right, in our culture. And there was this very, I think, teasing premise of... What if there was a Western town? You think about Deadwood. You think about all the towns we've seen in like every old like Clint Eastwood or Spaghetti Western. All the men are gone and it's just women. It's, a, it's like an exciting premise. How do you think the show actually delivered on this premise? It absolutely did not deliver in any way on that premise. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. You know, I, there's so many different ways you could you can go with that. Mm-hmm. What ended up happening in the end is that anytime any guy comes into town... Like most of the women want to have sex with them. And then a guy shows up and is like, oh, you know, we're, we're here to take control. And they're basically like, oh, OK, that's awesome. <laughs> and except that, for the that's one. the extent of it, except for the kind of butch lesbian. I'm not really a sheriff. I'm the sheriff's sister, but I'm, I'm actually sort of in charge. You know, I just thought there were so many like you were saying, there's so many opportunities to like really sort of. Think about what would it be like in this frontier town if women were not answerable to men at all? Mm. Like, what would they create? Right. And the answer was basically nothing. Mm. And the other way I think you could have played it, if it wasn't, you didn't want to game that out, you didn't want to be like, huh, what would it be like if women uh, ran the town? It's, what's it like? I mean, they must have been totally traumatized. Yeah. You know, I mean, half the town is gone and they don't seem traumatized. There's like very little thinking back to their their former husbands or whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean, they basically, I, I don't know. Come on, Toby. There was that one scene where we saw them all walking into their dudes to work on like a random, oh, like that was so strange, but it was that really- made no sense. No, it made no sense. that they, they all live 15 feet from work and yet they're all walking their husbands to work. No, Toby, I actually it's agree with hour, you that, that, that that premise is completely not delivered upon except- for two characters, you know, the, the sheriff's Mary sister. Mary Agnes. I love Mary Agnes. Yeah. And you also have, you know, Lady Mary's character. Michelle Dockery. Michelle Dockery's character, who, by the way, her husband didn't Fletcher, even- Fletcher. Mrs. Fletcher. Yeah. He didn't even die in the mine. So, like, she was already, like, yeah, an independent, interesting character. And her mother-in-law, yeah. and it didn't, but it didn't deliver on any of the promise on the what if. And is she even interesting? I mean, I, I just kind of felt like she was <laughs> sort of a stock character. Yeah. I mean, how many, uh, seriously, how many Westerns- Involve like widows living on a ranch and then some like mysterious hunky guy shows up yep. and that's like that's like what sort of starts the whole thing that's off. That's what Shane is about, right? Mm-hmm. That's what like back, unforgiven. Like endless ones of them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, no. I, I yeah, don't it, I, I don't disagree with any of those critiques. I think the woman, like Kevin was saying, and I, I'm, I'm going to forget her name, but the uh, sheriff's sister who's I guess sort Very of the angry. mayor. Like she was a good character, so I thought I thought she was really maybe the only character I thought was was sort of well written and interesting. Yeah, they do something different with what could have been a stock, typical Western lady who wears her husband's pants after he dies. They actually sort of flesh out the complexities of her dealing with her sexuality, which is super interesting. So, Laura, one of the things that that stuck out to me in this show, let's like take the women off the table. Let's take all the other stuff we're going to talk about in a minute off the table. Um, 
There's a huge, huge thread in this show, which made me think of you the whole time I watched it, about horses. Uh-oh. Yes. There is the care of horses, the breaking of horses, the walking of horses, the trees under which horses can walk, the treatment of horses, the communication with horses, a lot of riding of horses. Like the entire Putting horses out of their misery. What do you think it means that there's so much about horses in this Western when horses are typically in Western stories? They're sort of a prop on which characters mm-hmm. ride. Like you think about a, a thing like Westworld, like another modern Western, like horses are the prop. In this show, yeah. horses are a character. No, and I'm th- I was thinking as I'm watching all the horses, I'm like, I, I don't know if you guys watch Poldark. <laughs> He's always galloping around in his horse, but there's never this much horse, actual horse information in Poldark. Yeah, I, you know, I was really, that was the part I was m- most following, I think, in this show was all the horses. And I felt like they really kind of served almost like a metaphor for like the new west versus the old west Mm -hmm. and when like roy good is training the horses and he's in it's called like a round pen when he's like having them run around and then he's training them in a way that's not hurtful and not abusive and he's gaining their trust and everything that's that's sort of um it came out i don't know maybe like 15 years ago there was this guy monty roberts i don't know if you guys the horse whisperer the horse whisperer (laughs) yes of course and that was yeah monty roberts and he got to meet the queen but that was his whole approach was like this whole join up thing with the horses and the horses want to work with you and in the old west face their like deepest fear and then show them it's going to be okay that kind of thing yes well, and they and in the end they like turn in and they they come to you when right. they're ready. Right. Um, but like in the old west, you think of like the cowboys were more like breaking horses. Right. They were like breaking their spirits. And you know, I grew up on a horse farm, as you guys know. And I remember one time we had this like crazy cowboy come to our house to break some horses, and it was like the old west. It was awful. I remember like this guy like just like bucking them out, basically like like the rodeo. But I think that this show's kind of like kind of a theme that's kind of running through this whole series of kind of like the new way versus the old way. Right. And I was particularly surprised after watching the beginning and seeing how compassionate Roy was for the horses to find that Frank was the one that he actually learned this from. Right. Um, so that that was very surprising to me. But yeah, there was there was a lot of horse things going on. And I was glad in the end. This is a spoiler. When that bad man who was spurring his horse got what was coming to him and got chained up to the tree. So that was my most satisfying moment, people. Well, I thought the treating of the horses acted as a metaphor as treating how we treat one another or people treat other people. I think it's how people treat subjugated people, Native Americans, women. Well, no, I mean, I just interaction. Yeah. I mean, I just, I just, you know. Frank is uh, unusual in the way that, you know, he has this whole band, and we got to talk about Frank Griffin, but he has this whole band of, of ne'er-do-wells, 30 guys. I don't know how, like, why they're following him, as if he's paying them off. That's sort of never made clear. Because he's scary as hell. When he demonstrates the way his kind of horse-whispering way of breaking the horse... It shows like this is how he's like got like all these people to follow him, right? And and uh, yeah. Roy Good also doing sort of the same thing in his own way with the horses. I could have done without a lot of the cinematography yeah. and the kind of protracted, scenes, yes, you know, visuals of all of this. But I mean, I I think I think that's what's there. And and if we could just talk one thing about symbolism, because like if if your if your lead character is going to be named Roy Good, then you're obviously. <laughs> You're obviously throwing down on, let's start talking about all the different things. The town is called La Belle. Kevin, the the town with the black people was called Blacktown. No, it's called Blacktown. And the guy who went there was called 
whitey, whitey for crying out okay, loud. Right. Sure. Really? There you go. Really? But, but listen, the town is called LaBelle. Yeah. You know, the beauty. They're defending it from Frank Griffin. Griffin is the is a beast that digs up gold or protects gold. I mean, there's just the, the writers kind of know what they're digging at here. Yeah. So let's just like let's get away from the whole idea that this is, I think, as a trick. I'm just going to say it. I think it was a false premise set up in the trailers and in the first episode as being about a Western town. Like Pretty Little Lies. Populated with women. Let's take that off the table. What it's actually about is this showdown as a very traditional Western between the protagonist, Roy Good, and Frank Griffin. Roy Good used to be a follower in Frank Griffin's band. Frank Griffin is the newly one-armed bad guy leading this uh, pack of 'er ne'er-do-wells around the southwestern United States, slaughtering people, intimidating the media, being a as much of an evil douchebag as you can be when you also played a news anchor on the newsroom. <laughs> like it's sort of like soft peddling the evil douchebag thing there. Um, apparently he also sort of has some religiosity behind him. And then, you know, we get this protracted series of episodes about backstories. But let's just talk about the relationship, which is really what the show is about, which is between Roy and Frank, this father-son dynamic that is like basically threaded through the whole show. We see it echoed in the um, Roy and Trucky relationship, the son of Lady Mary. We see it echoed in all of Frank's relationships with everyone he brings onto his band, the crazy twins. We kind of see this like father son, mentor, mentee, how, and, and you know, Roy and his brother in flashbacks. Um, Toby, what is the show trying to tell us about like brothers? Fathers and sons, pappies, like what are they trying to do here? What is the message here? To the extent that there's a coherent message, (laughs) I guess it's that, you know, these bonds are extremely strong, whether in a good way or bad way, I guess. I don't know. I don't give them as much credit as you just did for like having all these echoes and stuff. Mm -hmm. I mean, I... I didn't find it very insightful about that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it it seemed to be almost exactly what you'd expect. It, it it seemed very derivative and not very fresh ideas. Now, uh, Laura, the title of the show is yes. Godless. And yes. we are given, you know, all of these God references throughout the show. The preacher, the ladies of LaBelle are like desperately waiting for this preacher to arrive. He never... He never seems to, like, be about to arrive. We kind of get flashbacks about Frank's life and how he turned into a bad guy. Was it basically uh, a band of angry Mormons, I guess? Like, mm-hmm. murdered his whole family and and kidnapped him. Uh, there's also, like, some cult dynamics. You have the Native Americans wearing the buffalo heads. It seemed to be a weird band. You have the locust. You have the lizard. You have the snake with his head shut off. You have the house with all the people with the plague there's like a lot of religious references in the show. And I'm wondering, like, do you think the show was trying to tell us something about religion, about cults? Was it trying to sort of like redo a Old Testament thing? What do you think was going on with that? I don't know. I think it was um, maybe trying to get at what happens in the absence of law and order and structure when this guy who is clearly 
not a nice guy, Frank, is kind of the most followed, influential person in the area. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's kind of a sad state of affairs for the state of their society when when this guy who like murders children, but he's kind to people sometimes and horses. <laughs> um, when that's the person that you're following and that's the person that has the most followers and it's the person who's kind of taking it upon himself to hand down his own brand of, you know, order and law as he sees it. And and he actually at one point there was a scene where those those two crazy twins who were just they were nuts anyway. But you mean the ones who murdered their fam their whole family? The Menendez twins? Their whole family. <laughs> the and they're like, ha, 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 and they're like running through the wigs giggling hysterically. Yeah. Um when they were like it was like Frank was like this prophet almost. He was like this but it was like it, it was very odd. It's like the prophet outlaw and and they're repeating back to him these little mantras that he has told them, you know, in the absence of God, it's up to men like us to make the important decisions for people. So right. But I, I was fascinated by the character of Frank more than anybody else. You know, let's look at one of the oldest mo- Western movie cliches in The Black Hat. And a lot of the, the guys in his uh, gang, they were costumed wearing black hats. His hat was gray, which I think was, again, a deliberate choice because he's a killer and he is an awful man. But he also has these odd um, codes. Yeah, it, yeah, a certain code that he lives by where he will tend to a bunch of people with smallpox. Will he tend sure- to them or will he murder all of them? Because he murdered all of them. You know that, right? That's what happened. You know that, right? They were going to die anyway. Yeah, he was putting them out of their misery, <laughs> you know? Yeah, like he did with the horse. But he, he like made a horse. Sure, but he made sure there were graves for them. And they were all clean. They were clean, yes. And he made yeah. them clean themselves and then murdered them all. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I I don't think. I mean, he was not a good guy. No, he was not a good guy. But like Laura said, that he was a, a, a complex character where he did show, you know, flashes of kindness. He took different people in into his gang, but he did. I mean, he did befriend and act as a father to this runaway boy, Roy Good. But I mean, he's the villain, obviously. But he's a complex character. What do you make of this idea that he thinks he can see his own death? Oh, I did think that was kind of interesting um, that he kept saying that. Uh, I, I don't know where he was going with that. I, I think obviously it was it was once he says that, I know how I'm going to die, and then right. it's going to be today. I mean, we as viewers are all like knowing, okay, we're going to see that, right? Well, it's like and oh, we're going to find out, right? right. Well, we're going <laughs> to like he keeps saying it, so it's a signal to us to keep watching because. We will see his death. Now, Toby, um, you have this character who's, I think, written in a complex way so that Laura and Kevin are both asking that question, like, what's going on with this character? But then you have the character played by Jeff Daniels, arguably the most milk toasty of the famous Jeffs. What did you think of Jeff Daniels, Will McAvoy from the newsroom, playing this character that we're supposed to fear slash love slash be confused by what did you think of that performance let me first just uh the, the one thing i thought about the the character of frank is i don't know if any of you guys have read blood meridian by cormac mccarthy mm, no he's sort of like an after school special version of <laughs> a guy who's in that book yeah like blood, blood meridian is a brutal 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 book and after the first scene when all those people are, are dead in that, that town in Colorado, I was like, oh, man, they're going after the Blood Meridian feel. But the Jeff Daniels, you know, Frank is, you know, similar to this guy, the judge. I, I haven't read it in 20 years. But um, anyway, 
Jeff Daniels, it seemed to me like the whole time I had a hard time getting out of my head that he was trying to do like a long imitation of uh, Sam Elliott. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Yep. Who's in a lot of Westerns and he's also like here he's in. Coors commercials. Yep. He's also the beef it's what's for dinner guy. So I kept waiting for Jeff Daniels to be like, Coors, the banquet bearer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it was just it just seemed strange to me. I, I thought the performance was like, I mean, it was a performance. Yeah. There are a couple of other stock characters we may as well talk about. One is the newspaper man. Mm. Always have to have the newspaper Shady man. Shady newspaper man. Well, because the story has to survive somehow. It's, you know, like in Liberty Valance or... Uh, Unforgiven, or right. I think even like one of the Lone Ranger movies, right? You know, Newspaper Man has to come Ooh, to town. One of those terrible 80s slash 90s movies that I love uh, with Rob uh, Lowe uh, and Emilio Estevez. Uh, young, young Guns. guns. <laughs> okay, yeah. That, um, the, uh, the grandmother, the Native American grandmother, mm-hmm. it's like she has Indian magic. She can go out on the trail and she knows things that white man don't know. She put she, black powder in black your powder, wounds. Black powder, yeah. And she will only speak in her native tongue, and but you know... But understands everything. But understands that, yeah, like R2-D2. You know, yeah. it's like, uh, we uh, we don't understand you, but you understand us. <laughs> it's true. There's a lot of objectification of Native Americans in this show. They did nothing horrible. new or nothing interesting. The only Native Americans we saw in this show, one was maybe a ghost, which uh, was ridiculous. There was the grandma, yeah, who, like you said, right, had all the magic. Right. And then there was the rapists. And there's that one town. There's that one town where he drops her off and... They're like, you know, the quote unquote good Indians. <laughs> exactly. It's offensive. Now, Kevin, um, I saw you like your eyes wide a little open when I talked about one of the Native Americans maybe being a ghost. Yeah. Uh, what do you think? Was that uh, particular Indian friend a ghost or not a ghost? Do I think? don't think it was a ghost. The dog. You know how we know it was a ghost? Because like they could both see the dude. So like how could They're he possibly kinda, yeah, be a ghost? Yeah. It what? never sort of occurred to me that he was. I mean, I guess a ghost would know things about like which direction the gang rode off on, and he just keeps kind of showing up in weird places. But I don't know. I didn't. I didn't buy that there was. Uh, th- that was just sort of a bridge too far for me. What was the guy doing? I mean, what the, if he's not a ghost, what the, what is he doing? Just following him around, just like giving him helpful tips every once in a while. He's doing the same thing that Sam Waterston was doing: showing up. I know. And then nothing happening. <laughs> Right. Hey, you don't see so well, do you? No, Sam Waterston was in this damn show. Sam Waterston, oh, who, by the and way, he got killed off. Yeah, great mustache. Spoiler alert, Laura. But it's okay. Oh, People sorry, will, it's sorry. they already know. But Sam Waterston, who's like the person you expect to do something. Once again, yeah. Sam Waterston dies before anything happens. This is like a sort of weird, like why was it even there kind of mm-hmm. situation. Anyway, sounds like we have some uneven feelings, so let's just do like a little round robin. Let's give Godless from Netflix a review. Thumbs up or thumbs down? Should our listeners check it out? Laura Bricker, I'm going to start with you. What do you think? Um, I think I'm probably in the minority, but I'm going to give it thumbs up because, you know, regardless of if it's been done before, if you knew where it's going, you know, and there were some slow parts, it was still a good show. It was still a satisfying show to watch. And if you like Westerns and you like watching many horse scenes, um, (laughs) you know, this is the show for you. And Lady Mary. I mean, I love Lady Mary. So, you know. Topless Lady Mary. Uh, Toby yes, Ball, what I know. <laughs> Toby Ball, what do you think? Godless, thumbs up or thumbs down? I give it a, I give it a, a hearty thumbs down. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> since the beginning of like motion pictures, you know, Stagecoach, you know, there have been westerns. It's 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 like literally the oldest topic for film. 
so if you're going to do one, and especially if you're going to expect somebody to watch it for like seven and a half or eight hours, you got to bring something new. You know, the one thing, and, and, and you identified at the beginning, and, we, and we've already talked about it, but this idea of having a town that's all women, I hope that the original script did a lot with that, and then people were like, you know, people don't want that shit. They want people killing each other. And so they, they rewrote it and, and kind of wrote that stuff out because that seemed to be the one, like, super original idea, and they just absolutely did nothing with it. Hmm. I don't disagree. I would say if Godless was episodes one, two, and seven, I would give it a thumbs up-ish. Uh, I have learned that Godless was supposed to be a film, and then Netflix decided to turn it into a series. I think that was a mistake. I think we ended up with a lot of unnecessary exposition that could have been handled with a quick scene or two. And then we also ended up with some offensive Exposition. I think the whole Buffalo Riders uh, part of the story was handled poorly. I think every aspect of every scene involving Native Americans <laughs> was handled poorly. And I think that my grade of this show may have been different if it weren't for a truly phenomenal and revolutionary Western story that also came out this year, a little thing called Westworld which I think took this exact genre and delivered on a promise of it being new and being exciting. With robots. And being different and being a story about really like what if dot, 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 and about a subversion of an American story that's been told a hundred million times. So, gosh, this show was beautiful. Lady Mary is wonderful. The guy who plays Roy Good, super yummy. Got to give it a thumbs down. Kevin, what do you think? I am so on the edge on this one because there are so many good parts to it, and I agree with you. If it had been a nice two-hour-long film that had all of the best parts, I think this would have been a really great movie. Um, or even like a two-part thing. Yeah. It, I mean, there were a couple of episodes. I mean, there was an episode which was an hour and ten minutes. That's almost the film in and of itself. Right. It's like you know writing um, you know your school essay, and it's got to be – Two Seven pages. Paragraphs. Yeah, so you start putting a lot of very, 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 varies <laughs> in there. Some of the, you know, some of the characters were really great. The sheriff's sister, Mary. So good. I mean, she stole every scene she was, she was in. She was amazing. Yeah, I do yep. think Roy Good, um, that actor, I mean, he was, you know, once he sort of became fully conscious and stopped, you know, <laughs> stumbling around, um, also very uh, mesmerizing. I'm stalling here. I guess I'm just going to go thumbs down. Okay. But not, not wait. I just, I just can't tell people that this is something that they should invest a lot so of time in. So on the in. old scale, you would have been thumb sideways? I would have been thumbs <laughs> sideways. <clears throat> but no, I'm going to take a stand. Just like the shirt, I'm going to be out there. I'm not going to lose my shadow. Yeah. I'm going to get out there on Main Street, take a stand, and Put say, your draw. on. And I'm going to say, thumbs down. Can I ask you a question about draw real quick? Yeah. Can somebody please explain to me the concept, like two guys in a field together, and they're clearly there to shoot each other. Yeah. Why is one waiting for the other one to pull it's their like gun? It's like an old-fashioned duel, except they're just <laughs> facing each other right. instead of turning but their back. They both know they're going to do it. Yeah. So I guess I don't know the con the concept of the whole like draw. It just makes no sense. We both know we're going to shoot each other. I, I think the idea is that the other guy makes the move first, and then you you're quicker to the draw. Yeah, but what if the other guy makes the move first and then he's also quicker? Then it's stupid. They let me the other guy. I go first. Then you've lost. Then you're screwed. So it's basically chicken with guns. You're like that guy in the crown that got shot in the leg. <laughs> 
<laughs> you know. Which, by the way, we we probably won't talk about the crown on this podcast. Toby, please tell me, have you watched The Crown? I would be happy to tell you that I have not watched oh, The Crown. Oh, you are uh, missing so good. probably the greatest show in the history of television. Anyway, Kevin. Well, it would have been awesome to have watched it, so I watched this crap. Yeah. So, <laughs> All right, so yeah. Kevin, go ahead. Yeah. Finish no, with so your I think that, that's where the duel is. you got to be able, I mean, it's a, I don't call it a duel, but a showdown. Yep. You know, it's because you want to die with your boots on. Yep. Go to Boot Hill because what does that mean? I guess it means it's much better to, to die standing up doing something than to die in bed later on in life. But I I wouldn't mind if it were a Casper mattress. (laughs) I would gladly hang up my spurs and I would just lie down and be comfortable in my new Casper mattress. It's Mm. the sleep brand that continues to revolutionize its line of products to create an exceptionally comfortable sleep experience one night at a time. Now, of course, you know they have the original Casper yep. mattress, which we have, but they've also introduced the Wave yep. and the Essential. Wow. And these mattresses are perfectly designed to soothe and cradle your natural geometry. Mm-hmm. So not to mention the breathable... <laughs> you thought natural geometry mm-hmm. sounded funny, yeah? Mm-hmm. I, I, oh, your I, triangles? I like people cradle my natural geometry. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay. Well, also, they have the, the brief breathable design that helps you sleep cool and regulates your body temperature throughout the night. So you remember, you just order it. They deliver it right to your door in that little box. And you're just like, there's a big mattress in that little box? Yep. Says, yes. In fact, why don't you like call all the neighbors over and watch that and open the box? It'll be a treat for everybody. Seriously, you could YouTube it. It's amazing. Yeah. You spend one third of your life sleeping, so you should do it comfortably. Hmm. And, you know... Just if you're going to go out and have a showdown in the town square with the rest of the cowboys, you could either do it that way or go take a nice nap. If you're going to ride your horse to the ocean from New Mexico and you're going to like ride with a little like bed on the horse's saddle, like it should be a Casper mattress. That's what you're saying. I feel like Whitey could have used a Casper mattress. He really yeah. could. He really could have. <laughs> Whitey could have used a lot of things, including a bath, by the way, which we kept hearing over and over again. You know, they could have taken that little mattress, and they certainly could have put it on a saddlebag yep. and gone out into the desert. And then yep. when they needed it, poof, the mattress would just pop open, and they could yep. sleep on a Casper mattress yep. and just worry about the rattlesnakes. Start sleeping ahead of the curve. With Casper, get $50 towards any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash crime Crime. and using crime Crime. at checkout. That's casper.com slash crime. Crime. Promo code crime for $50 off your mattress purchase. You need to use crime twice, both in the URL and in the promo code. Did I stutter? I'm just checking it out for myself because we need a new mattress. Spoiler alert. Okay. Yes, that's casper.com slash crime. Offer code crime. Terms and conditions apply. What else you got, Kevin? Yeah, well, we have a new sponsor this week. Ooh, a new one. Yeah, Zola. (gasps) Zola is the wedding company that will do anything for love. I know about Zola. You do? I do. Zola is a wedding registry company where couples can go and register for their entire registry. It's like getting the entire mall slash specialty store at your disposal. You can register for all kinds of stuff and your wedding guests only have to go to one place to uh, fulfill your registry. Yeah, they, they really have reinvented the wedding planning and registry experience. They have over 500 top brands and 50,000 gifts, experiences, and cash funds. Zola Registry has everything you love about your favorite department store, plus things like honeymoon funds, fitness classes, wine subscriptions, and so much more. You can give money to people, but through the registry. It's exciting. Yeah. yeah, it's so easy for couples and their guests. Plus, the friendly customer service team will go above and beyond from helping you pick out the perfect blender 
to walking your grandmother through the registry. Yeah. Because God knows. It, did you hear that now with my I mom? Did. I did. It's, you just you just know. Old people are not good at this. No, They're not. No, no, but they have somebody who but realizes will that. Help. Yes. Yeah. And also have a great app, too, for your iPhone, Android, iPad. If over 300,000 couples have used it. Best of all, your Zola registry automatically integrates into your Zola wedding website so guests can seamlessly shop and get all the details that they need in one piece. Have a real high-tech smooth wedding. I'll tell you, huh? you know, you and I are not getting remarried anytime soon. If we were, we'd use Zola, but like as a wedding guest, having been to a wedding where the bride and groom registered on Zola, uh-huh. I can tell you like if you want to buy them two gifts, like say one for the shower and one for the wedding, it makes it super easy, especially when those two things are like completely different types of gifts. Yeah. To go to one place and just get it all done, it's like super easy. To sign up with Zola and receive a $50 credit towards your registry, go to Zola.com slash crime. crime. That's Zola, Z-O-L-A dot com slash crime to sign up for a $50 credit towards your registry. Now it's time for my favorite part of this podcast, a little something I like to call the crime, right, crime of, of the week. The week. Spoiler alert, this is my favorite crime of the week in a long time. Dateline, Norfolk, Virginia. When Rhoda Young and her husband showed up at a house fire before the local TV station did, she decided to go on a Facebook Live and began her own report saying, quote, We're alive! We're alive! We're going live! So began 54 (laughs) hilarious profanity-laced minutes of Rhoda's on-the-scene reporting, at one point describing the burning house as, quote, The house is fully engulfed. Now, don't worry. (laughs) If you don't have 54 minutes to spare, there are many, many, many five-minute highlight reels of Rhoda's, by the way, Awesome reporting from the scene available online. They're very easy to find. In the video, you can see Rhoda instructing firefighters to shut off the power. You can see her telling them where to spray their hoses, and they are very annoyed by that. (laughs) But, and this is the plot twist, uh, Rhoda also talks to the owner of the burning house, who tells her he left to go get some beer and just happened to return to see the flames. But she notices, live on camera, that his hair is singed and his pants are burned. But you burned. His hair burned. Hi, this is Rhoda Young reporting live. I just found out what happened with the house fire. So Rhoda then tries to tell the arson investigators what she saw and they completely blow her off. Cut to the guy that Rhoda interviewed getting arrested. Uh, the homeowner himself apparently committed arson and uh, Rhoda, of course, in the front reporting for her fake TV audience that she it's was fake the first. TV. It's a real Facebook live audience. That's right. That she was the first to solve the case. This is Rhoda Young. I solved the case before anybody was on the scene. This is Rhoda Young reporting live from Birmingham Avenue in Norfolk, Virginia. Allegedly, this man has set his house on fire. He has been allegedly placed under so arrest. So, panel. The very spunky Rhoda, like, actually solved the case as an intrepid, not reporter reporter. What should be her next assignment? Where should we send this intrepid reporter next? Laura Bricker, I'm going to start with you. I have two very obvious places to send her next. I I think she needs to get on with John David Booter. And uh, I I think that, um, you know, his finale episode is coming up, I believe, next week. Mm -hmm. I think um, we could solve the case. Number two, 
she needs to get on the imposter that is impostering me. Ah. Um, Lauren Bricks. Yes, and, on Twitter. Um, yes, your new fake Twitter she, handle. My new fake Twitter handle. I think she needs to go undercover and get to the bottom of this. First it was Bobby Tall. Bobby Tall and H. And H. And now it's at... At Lauren Bricks. Lauren Bricks. Yep. And Firefighter Len. <laughs> There's a Firefighter Len? There is. It was uh, Take Your Son to Work Day this week, and uh, Firefighter Len took Felix. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, Toby Paul, where do you think that Rhoda's next assignment should play out? Where should we send this intrepid reporter? She should get on that UFO shit. <laughs> the best story of the week, right? That UFO shit. Yeah. No messing around. No messing around because, you know, those UFOs are what? Engorged. They're, They're engorged. Engorged. <laughs> Kevin Flynn, where do you think we should send Miss Rhoda? I think we should send her to the Olympics to cover uh, curling. <laughs> yeah, I get to see her. It's like, oh, yeah, we all up in this bitch. Oh, we're pushing the rock. Push that broom faster, faster. Push it to the left. To the left. <laughs> all right, we should probably end it on that. Now, before we do, Laura Bricker, do we have a cat of the week this week? Um, we have a dog of the week because I wanted yes. a Christmas theme. I know. And Kelly Gee had a lovely photo of her dog, Nikki, in front of the Christmas tree. Also with like a little spinning wheel. Like, um, what was that? Not Rapunzel. Rumpelstiltskin. Like the mm-hmm. Rumpelstiltskin mm. spinning wheel. So Nikki is a rescue pup that she's had for 10 years. She was abandoned in a kennel when her previous owners got divorced and left her there. Aww. And she has a lot of anxiety. But she's very happy and she just wants to hang out by the Christmas tree. So you can't possibly miss her. So she just lays by the Christmas tree all the time. So she's in the spirit of the season. That's very very sweet. So, Laura Bricker, if our listeners want to submit their pets to be cat slash dog slash iguana slash any kind of pet of the week, how can they reach you online? At Laura Bricker. And Toby Ball, if our listeners want to reach out to you and agree with you that Godless is a waste of seven hours of their life, how can they find you online? At Toby Ball NH. Also known as at Bobby Tall NH. And Kevin Flynn, if our listeners want to reach out to you online, how can they find you on Twitter? Uh, I'm at Kevin P. Flynn. And if you want to find me on Twitter or Instagram, you can find me at Reb Lavoie. You can also check out my new podcast, HGTV and Me. This week, it's all about that horrible Tarek and Christina and Flipper Flop. You can tweet to our show at Crime Writers On. Join the fine folks on the official Crime Writers On Facebook discussion group or leave a comment on our regular Facebook page. Go to our website, sign up for our newsletter at crimewriterson.com, and subscribe now to support this show and get ad-free content from our team at stitcherpremium.com slash crime. If you love the show, tell a friend, leave a review. It makes a huge difference. Line production by the very handsome Henry Lavoie. Our theme song was performed by Rocksteady Freddy and the New York Sky Jazz Ensemble. This show was recorded in the Podcast Hall of Justice, formerly known as Studio C, the closet in our basement where we definitely aren't hiding a shot in the neck outlaw with the hope he'll someday break our horses. On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. Later. Laura, what do you think of your um, parody Twitter handle? Um, is it you? No, it's not me. <laughs> I'm convinced it's somebody I know because it's too close to home. Either that or we have somebody that's like super obsessed. Uh, Toby, what do you think about your parody Twitter handle? I think it's fucking bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you.
partners in crime media. This episode was sponsored by Madison Reed, which is revolutionizing the way women color their hair with gorgeous salon quality multidimensional hair color delivered to your door on your schedule. Join the hundreds of thousands of women who have tried and who love Madison Reed. Visit madison-reed.com and get 10% off plus free shipping on your first color kit with promo code CRIME. That's madison-reed.com and use the promo code CRIME. Mmm, Profaci. <laughs> Everything's changing so fast these days, and that's a great thing. I mean, back in my day, we were lucky if we could get one video to load on our desktop computer. But now, there's the Xfinity 10G network. That means the fastest internet, with faster speeds rolling out every day, and internet that can power a house full of devices at once with ultra-low lag. So, while one person streams a movie from their room, another can play video games in the basement, while another TikToks in the kitchen. It's the next-generation 10G network, only from Xfinity. The future starts now. Restrictions apply. Actual speeds vary and not guaranteed.